Hello, and thanks for joining me today on Coping with COVID. That's the podcast every day from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, the publisher and editor-in-chief. We're, of course, in the early stages of comprehending the economic impact of COVID-19. The Conference Board of Canada, though, has released its latest estimates and projections, a bit of an update on some earlier ones, and they make for some very sobering information in this challenging time. The board report is titled Economic Implications of Social Distancing, and Pedro Antunes is a chief economist for the conference board. He joins me now. Good to have you with us. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, look, uh, I, I know we we can, um, we can often uh, get a little hyped up over this, but... Uh, but I think it's a reasonable question to, uh, to ask it. Have we ever seen anything like this? Oh, goodness. Um, certainly not in my uh, forecasting experience. I've been at it for uh, pretty near 30 years now, and I've never seen anything like this at all. Even the 2008-2009 recession, which was a very deep recession, and it was in some ways similar in that it was a global recession, very synchronized global recession. Um, but this is different in the sense that... Uh, uh, a lot of the a lot of the economic impacts really are the restraint measures that we're kind of self-imposing on ourselves. Uh, but but more importantly, they're essentially bringing a halt uh, to you know many sectors across the economy. And uh, you know our typical tools and models that we use to 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 kind of get a sense of what the economy is doing, they're very at the margin kind of. We never yeah. really shut down a whole industry. So very, this is you're almost uh, going to have to rewrite rules, aren't you? You rewrite the rules of how you assess things that have economic impacts. Well, I, I think, yeah, once we see uh, how the data come out of this, um, you know, because, again, a lot of the information that we have is very lagging. Uh, you know, Stat Statistics Canada is, is producing uh, data now for January and February still, where we don't know yet where March will land. We're getting some in indicators uh, that have come out from uh, China, for example, about the depth of the uh, the economic impacts. Uh, I So I, I, we're getting a handle every day on how big this is going to be. And I think... Uh, what's really important here is it's going to be very deep. Uh, in other words, uh, while these measures are really a, the strong strong measures that we see right now are put in place, hopefully that will not last uh, you know uh, too much longer. I think in our assumptions here, we're seeing uh, these kind of deep social distancing measures in place until about the end of August. Um, and so they will, they will have big impacts in the second and third quarter. Yeah, but we big. also think that... Uh, Go ahead, please. End of August, my goodness, huh? And end of August, that just seems like an eternity away. Well, and again, there's a lot of uncertainty there. So you mentioned we did two scenarios. We had one, our first scenario, where we thought, well, maybe these these things will go by fairly quickly. Uh, but now we're thinking uh, that perhaps, especially some of the measures, for example, the, the ones that uh, would see, uh, you know, restaurants reopening or travel and tourism reopening, probably those measures will last longer than some others. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, you know, these are big impacts on those specific industries and again, a deep impact the second and third quarter. And, and what I was going to say is that we are hopeful that once the crisis is behind us, uh, that assuming that all these measures really hold the economy together for that period, then we, we should bounce back fairly quickly. This, this is different than a financial crisis that we had in 2008, 2009, should be able to bounce back. Yeah. I mean, you, you've, uh, you've taken notches off 
of course, the projections for this year and, and your projection next year is quite healthy. I think it's something like 3.3% in terms of GDP growth, which kind of gets us back out of that hole and forward uh, a bit. But, you know, I, I recall just only a month ago, I think covering the British Columbia annual budget and we were looking at surpluses and, uh, you know, 2% or so growth rate for the year and all that. The, the different complexion about this, Pedro, that I wonder about is compared to, say, 2008 and 2009 was that on those days, people were still going to work. They, you know, they, yes, you know, the, the market had, had, you know, convulsed and yes, there was all sorts of wealth lost on, on paper and a lot of companies very quickly closing because of particularly the housing and mortgage crisis in the United States that, that seemed to precipitate some of this. But, but arguably, I mean, that was just a different social dynamic than what we're experiencing now. Is, is, there, is there really, in your view, an effective way to project ourselves along on this one when we, we just have so much dormant um, <laughs> industry? Yeah, well, uh, and again, um, you know, we talked about the similarities in the sense that they're global, these two sh uh, shocks, the 2008-2009 the financial crisis um, and and uh, the, the COVID crisis we're feeling now. But that's that's the end of the similarities. I, I think they're very different in the sense of what's causing the decline. And here, as we know, it's these self-imposed uh, self and, and imposed and self-imposed social distancing measures. And the way we talk about this in, in the economics jargon, it's really a demand shock. Uh, it is, uh, you know, essentially consumers holding back. This is how we're going to, uh, uh, you know, appreciate the impacts on the economy is people are essentially holding back on tourism, on, you know, purchasing uh, uh, items in, in restaurants and, and, uh, and beverage service industries, um, you know, and we're seeing big impacts on retail. We are also seeing some supply side impacts. We talked early on about China and its impacts on the supply chain in North America and, and elsewhere. But I think those are lesser uh, right now than this kind of big uh, this big pullback in spending. So the way we see this panning out essentially is that uh, you know the, the other piece that we haven't talked a lot about yet is you know the the fiscal and monetary policy response and the, the fiscal response now is huge. We're talking about just in transfers to persons. Uh, in other words, when people aren't working now, they're going to be getting money from the government uh, that's equivalent to two and a half percent of GDP right now. At, at least that's the flexibility around that that uh, relief package. Uh, so the income will be there. People won't be spending. And what happens then? It's it goes into your your savings, and, and um, it, it, we're going to see this show up in in terms of the aggregate savings, and that'll give people room to maneuver once the crisis is over to spend that money. It's this pent up demand that we're going to have for goods, uh, for products, for cars, for real estate. This should bounce back uh, once the uh, once the crisis is over. Do you do you have um, a, a sense yet as an economist? on whether um, COVID-19 has revealed to us anything about the state of our economy, about whether it was actually kind of more precarious than we might have thought, that the, that the stability of the run that we've had for really nearly a dozen years now uh, was, was in fact you know, a little bit flimsier than we thought? Well, I think, I, I I don't know if I'd say that. I, I do think that, uh, you know, we have had some problems with our economy, some things that haven't been working out uh, terrifically well, for sure. 
but um, you know, generally speaking, when we think about uh, the progress that's been made, this these issues, these trends around globalization, the adoption of technology, all of these things, I think, have been positive. Uh, and what I think is going to emanate from this COVID crisis is uh, we're going to see perhaps some of these technologies being more fully adopted going forward. Uh, you know, we're talking about ability, people's abilities to work from home. Uh, I know that we're hearing about uh, you know, e-commerce uh, from China. I mean, China, I think we're, we're Chinese have been earlier adopters than Canadians about purchasing things through uh, through e-commerce. Uh, so I think we're going to see some changes going forward that will probably use this a lot more. Uh, but there's all, all other things like consulting your doctor. You can do that online a lot more. Uh, perhaps in the education system, we'll ad- adopt more technology so that people don't have to necessarily commute uh, to be able to uh, to uh, to uh, essentially do their schooling. Um, so those are some of the things I think that will affect the economy going forward. That could those could be positive uh, in terms of more efficiencies, less commute times, and obviously uh, less impact on the environment as well. Uh, but there are uh, other implications, right? When we think about uh, you know shortening global supply chains, which people are talking about, and in other words, the benefits of globalization, we could see those pulled back a little bit. Um, you mean and the bigger are, where businesses are holding more inventory and that kind of thing, maybe a little bit, a little bit more wary of of that supply chain stability. Yeah, well, that's a that's a good point. Uh, um, you know, and I think we saw some of that with the rail uh, first, the the the, uh, the rail strike that we had, and then the uh, the transportation uh, uh, bottlenecks essentially that we had uh, earlier this year. Uh, but yes, I mean, uh, companies have been running. I mean, all through the supply chain, been running more and more efficiency, very efficient logistics on the transportation sector, allowing us to be very efficient on inventories. So that's less costly for firms. Uh, if they are going to start keeping more inventories, that's going to be more costly, and eventually it'll it'll pan out through to consumer prices. Same thing with uh, kind of repatriating, if that's the the trend, uh, supply chains. So I, I think we need to think about those things uh, longer term and how this crisis will change uh, some of these uh, adoption of technologies, but also uh, the supply chain issues. I mean, economics um, is is often uh, a bit of a behavioral uh, science as well. I mean, you're studying human behavior and all of this, and you as a chief economist at the board would, would be really quite front and center in understanding that. Do you have some theories yet on what what kind of uh, repairs the psyche here for the consumer and makes the consumer be demanding again? Well, you know, I, I don't know that the economics is a perfect science to, to get around that question or to get a handle on that question. I, I do think that um, in general, human nature is that uh, uh, we get we adapt and we get used to the, the environment that we're in. And, um, you know, I think that right now people are feeling very stressed that they're holding back on consumption. They're very concerned about what will the future hold in, in a few weeks or a few months down the road. Uh, but I do think that... Um, you know, we we will get through this. This may be a bit longer in terms of the way we uh, do business on a day-to-day basis or interact with other people on a day-to-day basis. It may last a little bit longer than we, you know, we, we might have wanted. Um, but nonetheless, I think we will adapt to that even in the shorter shorter run. 
Um, you know, economics is, uh, is a, in my field, it's uh, what we call the macro economy. So it's the aggregate uh, way that consumers respond to, to things. And I do think a lot of these, um, a lot of things will return to normal once the crisis is over. So this idea that uh, if the income is there, if people, you know, don't suffer too badly, if we can uh, stay off bankruptcies, for example, for households and businesses, that uh, uh, those patterns will come back, and once income is there and and uh, and the economy is uh, or the crisis is over, people will go back to spending. The one thing, Pedro, I think we've noticed in uh, in studying other countries as they've gone into the throes of COVID nineteen is, of course, the stress on the healthcare system, of course, on the economy, and I wonder whether maybe as they if some of them start coming out of of their crises um whether you know we're we're going to in a sense uh, be a little bit faster a little better prepared to come out of it ourselves just behaviorally yeah not well um i think we're uh, we're certainly seeing some areas of the world uh, south korea and, and certainly china within the hubei region where they were very much uh, you know most affected uh, not so much anymore but uh, they have seen essentially the number of new cases almost uh, flatten out to nothing. Um, and I think when we think about China, for example, uh, the concern now is uh, about uh, the virus coming in from outside back into the country. So uh, I do yeah. think that, uh, yeah, one of the, one of the things that uh, we need to keep in mind is that um, until we find a vaccine, I guess, uh, or until, uh, you know, 30 percent or 40 percent of whatever the requirement is from the experts in, in health, not certainly not me. Um, uh, of the population gets infected, you know, we, we're not going to get through, we're not going to be able to let down our guard completely. So, uh, I, you know, I, I do think people should be ready for, uh, you know, kind of a longer term, at least on some of the measures that we have to contain, uh, contain the virus, probably things like travel, um, who knows, around, uh, around borders, et cetera, uh, restaurants and, and, and these other social gatherings. So, um, you know, I, I do think uh, this may last a little bit longer than we initially thought. And uh, this is part of the reason why we're looking at this scenario where the measures are in place for longer. But again, I, I do think sooner or later uh, the, the crisis will be behind us. Yeah. I mean, you, you alluded earlier to the fact that obviously with income support, that uh, alleviates one of the, I think, the principal tension points for people uh, in, in this difficult time if they're worried about yeah. their their jobs disappearing, there is some income support in there. You know, might we also see a, a bit of a changed habit there among Canadians where we will um, we'll be thinking a lot more consciously about how much household debt we're carrying and, and how vulnerable we might be? Because there, look, there are going to be other coronaviruses. Mm -hmm. Well, um, that's an, a really <clears throat> interesting piece. I, I think, um, you know, when I talk about how uh, households have, have, you know, essentially uh, taken on a lot of debt over the last number of years, I find that they've been really quite rational. If you were uh, to put money into a bank account, uh, you know, you, you're not going to even get enough to cover inflation. So there's a real loss there in terms of your savings. What have people been doing? 
They've been taking advantage of low interest rates, you know, leveraging themselves extremely, uh, uh, very highly uh, to get into real estate. And of course, real estate prices, especially in some key markets, have been doing very well. So the wealth is there for households in their, but it's locked up in their real estate. And I, I do think that's a bit risky. Um, and certainly going forward now, we're going to see households probably get into, get into further debt with this crisis, this economic crisis that we're in right now. Uh, interest rates are, again, very low. So it's not a huge burden right now. But looking ahead, as we look past the crisis, and as we look at the economy starting to uh, to motor ahead, uh, you know, I, I do think households need to take a look at uh, at their uh, their nest eggs and their savings and their ability to get through crisis. And perhaps this will be a, a lesson, um, a, a longer term lesson from this uh, from this really unfortunate situation. Yeah. And, and before we go, I, I want to ask you a little bit about the resource sector. I mean, obviously, it's so critical here in British Columbia, uh, as it is uh, naturally in Alberta, too. And, and you know, we're, we're, you know, we're back to gas prices here in, in Vancouver that we haven't seen really in about 15 years. Um, and we're bound to see lower. But ultimately, that's, uh, that's giving us a bit of an illusion about what kind of um, what kind of you know consumer saving uh, really means um, in this case what what needs to happen there do you think in order to relaunch uh, relaunch oil and uh, and energy and, and in a way that's going to put ourselves back into um, you know the, the the picture that we like to have in the West which is you know is a bit of an engine of this country at times yeah well, you do bring up a, some, a couple of really interesting points, and and that is that um, I mean we used to think uh, if you think back in in, in history, an oil price shock uh, was a, a problematic when oil prices went uh, sky high, and the, you know oil and energy are essentially uh, the inputs into pretty much everything that we produce, so not just transportation, but uh, a lot of the goods and products that we have use oil as a as a base for for the uh, for the production line. Um, so uh, an oil price shock that we've had now, the decline in oil prices, can be uh, positive for some, certainly some economies that are net oil or net energy importers. And for households, they'll see lower inflation. This is going to have some offsetting impact. But of course, for Canada as a whole, we are a net energy exporter. Uh, and for some provinces, obviously, uh, you know, a decline in oil and a decline in resource prices, as we've seen, um, are net negative. So uh, this is going to hurt some of the resource provinces more so than others. And so when we think about Alberta, Saskatchewan, Newfoundland, Labrador, in terms of oil, uh, British Columbia, of course, also very very heavily into the uh, energy side, but more more so on the gas. Um, but the mining sector, et cetera, when global demand slows. Uh, demand for commodities slows and prices comes down and, and this is having an impact where I would give some reassurance is that you know, we do feel that uh, demand for oil is going to be uh, strong going forward. Um, you know, we are looking at moving away from coal as a, the main global uh, method to get away from or to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, but in the interim, I think uh, oil is still going to be a, a commodity in, in demand. And let's not forget, I mean, global um, the global economy, um, the global population is still growing by 120 million uh, people a year. Uh, and mostly in Asia and mostly in parts of the world that are getting wealthier and they are uh, going to be needing resources. 
Yeah. Last question, and I don't mean this in a in a frivolous way, but I mean you you've had to, in a sense, uh, scratch out your uh, your earlier projections, release a new report. Um, do you think you're going to be doing this a couple more times before we're done this? Yeah. Uh, there's there's no doubt. Uh, there's no doubt. Uh, you know, I mean, just yesterday we saw. Uh, was it yesterday or the day before? But but uh, you know, essentially the Federal Reserve, uh, the Federal Reserve, the government of the U.S. announcing a two trillion dollar package. Uh, mm-hmm. We've had uh, you know a package ramping up here in Canada. Um, but then again, we're also seeing uh, negatives that we didn't expect. Uh, we are seeing, for example, mine closures. Not so much because prices or demand is is weaker, but essentially because they're uh, you know not an not an essential industry, and they want to avoid uh, or put in place social distancing measures that are essentially shutting down some industries that we didn't expect uh, firsthand. The other piece, of course, is uh, we hadn't we, we you know we are seeing now unemployment insurance claims that we didn't expect. Uh, you know, 500,000 in just a few uh, a few hours or a few days or a week or so. Uh, now we're up to a million, and now this package is talking about uh, essentially four million people possibly applying for uh, for this relief. So, uh, you know, every day we're we're getting these uh, these uh, different bits of information that we'll put into the forecast. And then the other piece that I think is really uh, going to keep us on our toes is uh, you know how long this lasts. How long before we can contain this within Canada? Maybe short-lived, but then what measures stay in place for a longer period of time? When does the vaccine arrive? Yeah, boy, a long, a long time ahead, I think. Pedro, I think uh, so. good to have you with us. Uh, uh, thanks so much for your time today. Um, you know, we'll be looking forward to what you next produce in the way of uh, some projections uh, to help us understand um, how to how to navigate all of this. Thanks so much for your time. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Pedro Antunes is the Chief Economist with the Conference Board of Canada. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Publisher and Editor-in-Chief at Business in Vancouver. Thanks a lot for joining us today on Coping with COVID. We'll see you again.